First of all, David was is beautiful and wonderful. I actually thought his dick was pretty big. You What's know? the? <laughs> well, when you see it in the theater, it's about <laughs> I mean, four feet. I mean, it's limp. What's I mean, the like, quote? What's the wait? It's supposed to be like erect. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. What's the quote? It's a pretty good dick. Oh, we're actually we're hot right now. Okay, I'll just go. We're still talking about dicks. Hey, hey. <laughs> I call mine Richard. That was Nixon. Terrible. Hey, 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 and welcome. The city's afraid of me. I've seen its true face. I don't think that's the way it goes. That's really good, actually. Hey, hey, and welcome to Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast, where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis to moves from our private collections, and one who tries desperately to keep up will let you decide which host is which, but for now, my name is Sean, and with me are my co-hosts, Jeremiah. What up, yo? All about the blue dicks. Eddie. <laughs> You're still calling me Walter. I don't like you. And Brandon. Hey, brother. <laughs> With every review, we tell you how many drinks it takes to get through each selection. At the end of the podcast, we'll rate the selection based on a scale of 0 to 5. 0 is a perfect film that you can watch Stone Cold Sober, and 5 is a terrible movie that you have to be drunk out of your mind to enjoy. In addition to our review, we generally pair our movie selection with a cocktail that we hope will enhance the viewing experience. We invite you now to shake, stir, or mix the cocktail that we've chosen and settle in for what we hope will be an engaging review. With that, what movie, Brandon, do we have on tap this evening? Well, tonight we're going to be talking about the 2009 action-adventure, comic booky, graphic uh, graphic novel-y film Watchmen. And uh, here's a quick little summary about it. In a gritty and alternate 1985, the glory days of costumed vigilantes have been brought to a close by a government crackdown. But after one of the masked veterans is brutally murdered, an investigation into the killer is initiated. The reunited heroes set out to prevent their own destruction, but in doing so, discover a deeper and far more diabolical plot. Wow, did you write? Who wrote that? I was like, who wrote that? That was pretty <laughs> impressive. Evan, Evan Murphy on oh, IMDb Eddie, wrote that, us, so thanks, us, buddy. Take us to the like, That's impressive, Sean. <laughs> uh, with each movie, we try to pair the tone and feel an overall impact of the story with a cocktail. For instance, when we watch a Bond movie, we pair it with a vodka martini, shaken that stirred with a lemon peel. Which I'm, I, I, hate, Sorry. I hate to be the bearer bom, of bad bom, news. Bom. I can't wait to do Skyfall. But based on this fucking coronavirus... <laughs> They've moved James Bond to November, which brings it out of season two and potentially into season if three. If everyone just wears masks, we're safe. If you could have read of the group text, you could feel Sean's tears, <laughs> sadness, anger. Sliding down my face. I didn't actually care. <laughs> well, 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 guys. All right. Not, not Sorry, a Bond fan. So, let me finish my one paragraph here and I'm done. Sometimes the drink will be referenced directly in the film and other times the drink will be simply be inspired by the film. Tonight, since this is a group pick, uh, I'm going to let Jeremiah talk about uh, this, uh, what we have offered. Eddie, I just want to throw something out there that you reading that was like a Christmas gift to me. <laughs> yeah, I went with it. Can you tell? <laughs> I did. Thank Jeremy, you. Jeremy, what's our cocktail? Uh, for tonight, we're going to be celebrating the graphic novel of all time, one of the top graphic novels to ever existed to mankind, and we're drinking <gasps> the Rorschach. Say it like you mean it. Um, it's... Pretty amazing, actually, because it has a real nice kick to it. It has, what is it? Like four, like what? Baileys? It's got some Baileys in it. It's oh, got it the Baileys that I taste. And it's got some, some bourbon. And some bourbon and just some deliciousness. And if you hear my S's coming out tonight, because I've been having a little bit, far too much than I need to. And I don't think we focus enough on the cocktails. That He's we've already eaten. at a three. <laughs> 
He's had a happy buzz. Uh, we don't we don't focus enough on the cocktails that we pick, but we're gonna this season make a concerted effort to kind of bring in some of the different cocktails and 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 describe them a little bit better. This one is is kind of a chocolate milky uh, deliciousness. Strawberry. What kind of bourbon shape. did you put in this, Sean? I put in Maker's Mark. Okay, that's your one of your favorite choices that is one of my favorite choices uh but it really does have kind of a, a different taste to it but it's, it's got a bite it's That's almost exactly, like bailey's yeah. with a bite there's it a is. bite to so it, in the it end. definitely yes, does good. it definitely does bring kind of the the theme of the movie to the forefront which is just uh uh something that you didn't expect and then all of a sudden it just hits you in the in the end i think some ice would be better with it though personally uh, that would have been pretty good you know you know sorry don't you know. look at me that way sean okay brandon why don't you take through uh season two selection process so to give you a little background on our selection process for this second season we're going to be reviewing movies that we can however tenuously group together later in the season we're going to have a tarantino set a summer blockbuster set and yes in november no we're not doing James Bond anymore. God damn it. Coronavirus, you son of a bitch. <laughs> In that case, we're going to make shit up on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> so we won't be talking about the movie straight through. Instead, we'll let our conversations flow naturally. That said, we'll be touching on different film aspects, including plot, characters, direction, music, cinematography, Ooh, and anything else might come up. Working on that motherfucker word uh, a little bit. I'm not going to lie. The cinematography in this movie was absolutely fantastic. So it's very exciting to start with uh, the review of The Watchmen. So one of the things that inspired this trilogy of films, I think, is um, kind of the, the the new, or it's not really new, it was the 2006 move toward graphic novels. Yeah, the late 2000, it was like every other summer or like some type of movie coming out around March, it was like, oh, that new graphic novel is coming what out. What started it? Was I think Zack Zach Snyder started it. No, but like oh, what so movie? It was Sin City that started Sin it. Sin City. Yeah. Yeah. With, the with first Rob, one Robert Rodriguez, yeah. This was actually, no, V for Vendetta, which is going to be another movie that we might be doing later on. I would hope yeah. that we're going to do that one. <laughs> uh, it was the second one, but this one was like the first rated R movie that came out and just completely just killed the box office. It was yeah. actually kind of like, you know, that secret movie, like, where did this movie come from? And it kind of was a, a new, fresh well, take on... Sorry, I was thinking about 300. Forget that. Okay. A new, <laughs> a new fresh take on... Uh, 300 Watchmen all these graphic novel movies were kind of a new fresh take on these superhero movies of people in capes you know you had this image I mean to me every time I hear I hear Batman right I hear of mm. I, I think of Adam West uh, jumping around the screen talking about you know the, the villains in, in the old the old sitcom right where it was wham and bow this kind of put a new spin on to me how people saw comic book characters so it's more cartoony the, and changing away from cartoony to the, the gritty realism, right? This pro, pro, it. It, oh, it's always, it's almost like they peeled back the the cartoony the cartoonishness of mm -hmm. all these old movies and brought you down to a different reality where things were gritty and dark and disturbing. Do you remember when this first trailer came out? We were all watching Dark Knight. I remember you and I were watching Dark Knight, bro. Yeah. And I remember this trailer come out, and we were just like, "What was that?" I mean, they had that amazing song from the Smashing Pumpkins. And it just had like I do remember visuals that. and whatnot. And everyone was just like, whoa, we couldn't wait for it. And I think when this movie came out, you got a different take of what you thought was going to be because a lot of people did not know what The Watchman was all about, especially because a lot of people did not know about the graphic novel. Right. And then uh, of late, you've had in the last couple of uh, months, at least the last three months, we've had HBO do kind of a mini series yeah. of The Watchmen. This is bringing it back to the original movie. And this is kind of, <laughs> I would say, Zack Schneider's attempt at a comic book 
a, a comic book movie before a pretty straightforward movie, which I think 300 is. This is a more convoluted, more more diabolical, more different type of story but than this movie was done after 300. Right. Right. Well, one of the things that I love about this one is it's it's convoluted, sure, but it's complex. Right. I think a I lot mean, of the yeah. other ones are, are kind of just basic. You take it. Good guy does this. The bad guys. And then it's over. Think of, you know, any of the, the Schumacher. Batman. This one has a lot of right? themes. There's a, a lot, lot of, of themes, yeah. but there's a lot of different characters. There's a lot of different ins and outs. It is a little bit longer movie because of that. It's a longer really movie. Long movie. It, it goes on a little bit, but at the same time, it's got a lot happening. You know, everything from Rorschach to to um, to Dan and and uh, his kind of relationship. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, um, I think the end, the beginning credits of the movie. Fuck yeah, dude. amazing. Oh this is how God. it started with that song too of how Bob Dylan's "The Times That Are Changing." changing. Yeah. changing. You just saw like a generation of <laughs> superheroes going through and then seeing what happened to them. It was just like you know, like made the, made everything like form a realization of like, oh, these are just regular people. Some of them are just regular people, and they're getting yeah. done down or they're getting put in the loony bin. But did you guys see the understanding of that whole situation? It was the mark of the Minuteman, the first yep. superhero group yep. and everything like that. And you saw like somehow the Minuteman going to the Watchmen and how they had an effect on American history, which I thought was done really fucking well, that's, great. That's the thing that I, I absolutely love about it is it's a rewriting of history, right? It's not supposed to be well, it's, it's this. An alternative it's, an alternative, history, yeah. it's an alternative history, right? But, I mean, what I love in just that, that little bit, um, the intro with, with the Bob Dylan song, is you've got everything from you know the famous Kiss picture, which is... You know the the World War Two yeah. kiss picture with the sailor has been replaced. It's, it's turned into one of the the superheroes, and it's a you know female kissing a female. Um, you've got the the Last Supper. It's, it's making not not taking shots at, but it's incorporating all these different historical things in this moment to say, hey, listen, the world that you exist in, the world that we live in right now, this isn't the world we're watching on TV. Uh, you know, we have Nixon getting his third term, so all things are changed. Which I think is good because when we watch something this hard hitting and this serious, it allows us to kind of take a step back and say, "Well, it is still cartoon. It is still yeah, exactly. a different take on it." And uh, and for me, my watching was fragmented a little bit because I was I don't like alternative history movies. I don't like when they put uh, they pit politics against politics, right? So you've got kind of a very right-wing government and a very left-wing feeling of fighting the government, and you have a very political atmosphere. And at first, I was like, man, I remember why I didn't like this movie. I remember why I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have because it's so overly political. But being overly political, it kind of allowed me to go, oh, this is alternative history. Everyone is almost the worst versions of themselves. Let me pull my head out of my ass a little bit and just appreciate kind of what's going on in the movie because what I think it does pretty successfully is it, it paints this picture of um, well I mean I'm going to get to it a little bit later but it paints this picture of what natural law in government actually does for each other and to me the, the, the movie asks one huge question is who has authority and why we should follow that authority and I think that question is is something that we're, we we deal with every day with every type of government every type of political party and they painted it so beautifully in this movie to the point where it's like you get to the end and it's it almost reveal the answer reveals itself in such a beautiful way that it makes you go oh okay so we'll get there and it, it is i mean but what you're saying is is the kind of the slogan of the movie which is who watches the watch exactly um, and I think that it does a really good job of commenting on it. And it doesn't matter if it's left wing or if it's right wing, which which side of the politics. It's criticizing politics, absolutely. But I think in criticizing politics, it's also criticizing 
the people who put those politicians there. You know, it's, and it, I think to it's, me it's almost it's almost derogatory toward the voter. Yeah, like definitely. saying you look at these fools you've you've elected, mm-hmm. yeah. right and yeah. left. It's not it's not politically it's politically neutral. By being so political, it's almost politically neutral. I think it is. I one hundred percent agree. Remember in Dark Knight where you know Joker goes, these civilized people will eat you up, you know, in a way. And then that's what pretty much happened to the Watchmen. They're outlaw mass vigilantes, you know, and they're just like being hunted down and whatnot. And a little ungrateful, you know. And it's like, you know, they just got eaten up and whatnot. Well, and you can you can feel them getting bitter. So you've got this original series of Watchmen who have literally saved the world. They've taken the worst elements of of mankind through war and solved the problems for people and it hasn't made things better it's made things worse and instead of saying hey look at what these watchmen did look look at the success that they had in preventing war or stopping war no it's their fault they've created this this alternative you know society where things are a thousand times worse but we but we're privileged enough to know that they're fools because we live in the alternate world of what really happened. We saw Vietnam and we saw us essentially lose Vietnam. We didn't see, you know, the Superman go in and save the day. And so I think it's easy for us to sit back. And I think this is also a point of the movie is that we come in from the outside and we say, you know what, you have it way better. How come you don't appreciate it? But isn't that what every society does to every other society? And it took, it took me a minute to kind of figure that out because I I was really kind of fed up and furious at the movie right almost at, at the beginning because you have Rorschach who to me is a character of ideology he is a character who believes in no compromise he has a certain set of values that he is trying to implement into the world and when he doesn't get his way or when when those values aren't implemented he's so rigid in his ideology that he can't overcome it. And I I mean, I do, I I agree with a lot of not, I mean, not Mm. a lot of what he said, not (laughs) a lot of what he did. I'm not trying to say that. I'm saying I agree with a rigid ideology. I have a rigid ideology. And to sort of watch someone like that go through this story and just get torn apart was upsetting to me. It was something that I didn't appreciate the first time I watched it. This weird detective vibe to it, the whole situation. Like, you know, you're reading this thing, you know, on the streets of like, Uh, New York, you know, and just like he's never stopped seeing the ugliness of this world and everything like that. There's a reason why he's hiding behind that mask and everything like that. You can see the emotion on his mask, you know, every time he reacts to something. Rorschach's the only continuous superhero or vigilante or whatever we want to call him. He's the only continuous watchman in the entire yeah. story, right? He's the only one that continues with it. Even Ozymandias. Everyone went into hiding, but he's, yeah. he's, it had the, for me, it had, a different vibe of kind of like it's just, it sounds funny, but kind of like the movie Incredibles. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me of Mister Incredible when he saved the person jumping off the right. You know, saying you ruined I my yeah. death. You ruined my death. <laughs> I didn't want to be saved. Now I have a, a now I have a bill to pay. You know, like that's kind of like the feel of this movie a little bit. It was just like these people were ungrateful of the superheroes. With that, I think Rorschach is, is Rorschach is fed up with the prostitution, with the underbelly of society, with the way society has devolved and kind of shunned all things that are authority and all things that are good. And he, to me, is a character who doesn't realize that the reason that people are devolving is because they are so reliant on the superheroes or they're so reliant on the watchmen who's become dependent on being saved by Dr. Manhattan and they feel like they can do whatever they want because mm-hmm. there's no there's no authority that there's no authority if these people are vigilantes. Do, I you guess remember, is the point. do you remember that line where the guy's like, you know, yes, we we met Superman 
and he's American. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. It's the funniest line right there, but oh, I love the Manhattan. And then it yeah. changes, though. Interesting where he said, oh, no, I was misquoted. I said, if or God exists, and he's an American. I mean, to me, that that's a really telling moment, that switch. Oh, his friend. Yeah. From, you know, it was the, it was the psychiatrist or yeah. talk show guy. Which I think um, is really important to see Doctor Manhattan as God. Oh, I yeah. think I think it's important to to have him as this omniscient, omnipresent per, uh, presence in the universe that is essentially holding nuclear war between his fingers. And if he if he but stray a little, you know, the whole world collapses. I think you've got to have that as the backdrop of the movie. And the reason why this whole thing started is because Rorschach. Am I saying his name right? Rorschach. Mm-hmm is like attack on one is attacked on all you know and with that, that with the comedian who died edward blake yeah which i personally think i don't know why he was kind of my favorite character personally that's my favorite that's character. kind of scary dude well just just it's jeffrey dean morgan and <laughs> I, I know trust me it was just weird that he was so in the character and it was i think it was his come out role as a star because what he was before that he was in not many movies i and think most of the cast or all the cast was like mm-hmm. really amazing i mean everyone like liked, earl obviously laurie jupiter was actually my favorite but you the comedian did bring kind of a, a different joie de vivre to the like to bad the, guy yeah. hero but, it was but weird. and and you didn't really know how bad he was until the story yeah. unfolded and i think that's what you're trying to say is yeah. at the beginning when you're faced with these character characters Rorschach's bitter and terrible the comedian is still embracing what made him which was he's I, I, and I this is a, a question I have is do these characters have powers or do they not have powers or are they just strong no, no I think they do they do no see to me uh, Manhattan's the only one that has power everybody no. else is just fighting uh, uh, Adrian, the beautiful mind. He's the fa- Adrian is, he's the, is fastest the smartest, person smartest man and in the, the fastest person. But that, I don't think there's, I don't think there's like superhuman powers going on. Like, right. nobody, everybody got else bitten could... by a radioactive spider or anything. Mm-hmm. Like right? That. No, I yeah. think with the exception, and I think that um, Manhattan is is Alan Moore's kind of nod to the superhero movies that we kind of come to know and love or hate or whatever. But um, I think that it's important to realize that these characters are serious people. Who've taken on this role of, hey, we're going to be the, the Batman vigilante. Which kind of makes the comedian even that much more impressive because he goes from, he has no power. no He has got no abilities that are amazing. He might think he didn't age. That's my that's my idea. That was his power. Was he was slowly aging and he had this like little extra power of strength. And I, well, I think I think they all had had training and they all had strength in a way that that kind of didn't didn't necessarily wasn't commensurate with the rest of the population but i don't think they were special i don't think they were particularly good and this is what the the whole movie is about right is you have a group of people who've taken it upon themselves to be the watchmen they're not endowed they're not Mm -hmm. given the authority they simply take the mantle on and i think that's where you have the first fracture of Mm -hmm. society and i think the reason why you like the comedian he's the one person that understands what's been going on through this whole kind of like situation of the the government and the world and everything like that like he sees it and he's he's accepts it he goes with the role and everything like that you know yeah i i think i I agree with that it was just something different with his character that was just like ooh, he's kind of like brings a different aspect as a hero but that's like a bad guy in a a weird way so let me let me just catch us up on plot a little bit we've got the keen act which is basically a Mm. uh governmental act or a a passage by congress saying that you can't be a masked vigilante any longer you've got a couple of characters here you've got daniel who was night owl i think was yeah was his pseudonym or whatever you want to call it patrick wilson night owl too you've got Mm laurie who was um 
Silk Spectre 2? Yeah, Silk Spectre. So, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you've got Dr. Manhattan, which is the big blue dick guy. Um, <laughs> you've got Rorschach, who you really don't know his true identity. Just a bit more of a detective type. More of, of a line. detective yeah. type. More like a Humphrey Bogart. And then yeah. you've got like, Ozymandias. Yeah, Ozymandias, yeah. Ozymandias, who is the smartest, fastest, and... You get this idea that this is like third, fourth, fifth generation. Like they've been through, and, th- and this is what they beautifully did in the opening sequences. They kind of went through the evolution of the Watchmen and how some got carted off to the loony bin, some got killed, some got this, some got that. Um, actually, it was really funny because they did make a comment that one of them got his cape stuck in a like a revolving door and got shot. And all I can think about was Edna Mode. No cape. No cape. No, I think Jeremiah, you and me are, I think, are the only ones that have read. The, the yeah. graphic novel that, um, you know, this is based off of Alan Moore's graphic novel, um, which is up until the very end. You said it earlier um, off off mic. But basically, it's, it's shot for shot, panel for panel. It's verbatim. It man. is 100 percent verbatim. And do you um, feel like that's it works for the film or do you kind of like, oh, shit, I kind of wish he took it in a different level the or funny different thing, way? I, th- I love it. Uh, I think that them taking out the uh, the. Uh, the black what is it the black the voyage of the well if you get the, the director's take, cut right, the director's and the cut final cut, that it's in. all that in there right i think for the uh, for the theatrical release of this one i thought that it was good the cuts that they made were really good and i love them cutting the end and if you guys don't know the end of the the comic book or the uh, the graphic novel it basically is Ozymandias creates an alien life form yeah. to come in and destroy new york new york mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Manhattan isn't the one who is blamed. It's instead now everybody's coming together to fight this alien existence that isn't actually there, which to me is kind of dumb. For me, I like the fact that they have a face now with Manhattan that they can say, this is the one that, that we are hating, and so we are going to destroy him and come together behind that. I think that, that is a beautifully cool ending. I also want to ask you guys a question later on about the ending, what your thoughts are, but I'm going to table that for now. I do like how uh, the whole fighting scene with, Edward Blake, right, uh, to the comedian. And, like, somebody's setting him up and somebody's trying to kill him. So it's like you have this feel, obviously, from the opening credits. Like, okay, he's, like, a retired superhero a little bit, but you, and he gets killed, he gets thrown out of the window. That was, like, uh, that was a cool scene. I, I thought that was really – and I heard that's not in the, 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 the well, book, he, right? He – okay, that's so – That's all – it's so already, like, in the book, it's already kind of, like, assumed that he – that's how he died. So fun fact, uh, the reason I was talking about Jeremiah and me reading the book is to say that they're second generation superheroes, right? And so that they make it a, a, a point that yeah, you have the Minutemen and then you have the Watchmen. And so that's why you have kind of the second generation. You have Dan taking over for the original Night Owl. You have um, Laurie taking over for Sally, Sally Jupiter. Her mother. Right. And so I think that's kind of important to understand is that there's only two that um, – really one and a half that have kind of continued from the first generation of the second one. The first is the comedian and the other half is, is um, Dr. Manhattan because he kind of comes in a little bit more halfway through after the Minutemen. I like Am that I right? character so much, by the way. Yeah. I mean, that's probably oh. one of my favorite characters, Billy, uh, you know, just Dr. Manhattan. Dr. You would just think he would just have this voice of God and he has this pleasant, soft spoken way of, Billy was in the oh my oh, no, God, almost famous just alone. Big but fish, which I remember when we did that movie. What? Yeah, uh, I don't either. <laughs> here, here's, here's. You guys said something interesting because I think that the way that this movie is presented, and I'm gonna kind of skip ahead all over the place, is that you've got God, who is Billy, uh, who is uh, Doctor Manhattan, Manhattan, who's creating the ultimate power in the universe 
that essentially ends up destroying a lot of mankind and is uh, he leaves right so he goes to a different place he goes to mars or mm -hmm. wherever and it keeps mankind in check because they're afraid he's going to come back so essentially it's the same thing that god did when he flooded the earth with noah is he created a risk reward system shit sean that's actually well no i'm gonna i'm gonna even get a little more deep on you yeah, really good, man. so here here's here here i guess is what i really think is positive about what Zack Schneider created is this concept that you need ultimate authority. If you don't have ultimate authority, then mankind can decide what is right and what is wrong. And if mankind can decide what is right and what is wrong, you've got Ozymandias, who essentially decides for all mankind that it's right to lie, it's right to create this false narrative. And if you can justify that act because you are smart or intellectual or whatever you want to call it, you create this this concept of that if as long as man can justify his actions, he's right. And what I think Zack Schneider did beautifully, or what what the the writer did, I don't know if it was Zack Schneider, but he created this this need for a higher authority than the most smartest person on the planet, which is a godlike character, which is Doctor Manhattan. That Doctor Manhattan, and it's the fear that Doctor Manhattan will come and destroy the whole world that keeps man in in check. Well, I, no, I think that I think you're off a little bit, and I think it's not the fear that they have. They it's this begging, right? It's this where is Dr. Manhattan? Is he going to come back and save the day? And what Ozymandias has done is, yeah, he's created a false narrative, 100%, but the false narrative is to say everything that you thought about you know, Dr. Manhattan is incorrect. He's here now to destroy him, so we need, we need to come together and, and rid the world of him. And he has no idea at, until the very end that this is the plan. And then when he finds out the plan, he's like, you know what? It's true. I need everybody to hate me. It reminds me of that scene in Miracle, right? Where they're, they're skating and they're skating and they're skating. But you just skating, contradicted skating. yourself as you said that it's not the fear. And it, I think it is the fear. I think well, no, no, it's the fear, leaves, that, no, it's the fear no, that he could come back. No, it's the... No, it's, it's, there, when it's Dr. There, Man, hold on. When Dr. Manhattan finds out that he is the crux of the story, that he is the reason that all mankind is suffering because it's his power that could, that destroyed New York when he decides voluntarily to leave and go to Mars it's with this concept that he is going to be the overlord or the ultimate authority in the universe and that mankind should rally to fear him or whatever you want to call it but he is the villain he's not the hero no your chronology is off a little bit because it's not until the very no it's until the very end that he realizes what's going on with new york he doesn't know about new york when he goes to mars no no when, no no the second time so oh, he okay. goes to mars the second time right okay yeah, I'm so sorry. when he when he goes there and he's like i'm gonna create life um which <laughs> i think is a really really cool concept that we can explore way more Brandon's just like stewing over here. He doesn't agree with anything I, we're talking about. I would about. say that I, I do disagree. I 100% disagree. Which is fine. That's what it's right. for. Um, so let's talk about the music in this movie. Oh, fantastic. Because music. I want to just say that this is one of the best collective soundtracks I think that we've gotten in, in a while. Um, I think just to start with the Bob Dylan song, but then we get Hallelujah, the the, oh. uh, the original recording of Hallelujah. And I know we can talk about that Hallelujah that's become infamous. But this one's the so infamous. Good. Well, it's so good, but at the same time, it's it's set right to the the Dan Laurie fuck scene. And so <laughs> and ninety nine schluff. You jump in a couple. <laughs> you jump in a couple scenes, but yeah, we, yeah. We, we've got we've got quite it, was, a few. it was on a rocket. What do you want, dude? I mean, it was the perfect timing, right? <laughs> I mean, to see her in costume after beating up uh, a bunch of guys, who wouldn't? But I, uh, I do feel. But like, the music is really good, and I feel like it has the same theme music as something like uh, Forrest, Forrest Gump. Gump. Uh, yep, where you had kind mm -hmm. of the greatest music musical generation. I think through. Yeah. coming from the 60s and 70s, you had these wonderful ballads, just wonderful pieces of music mm -hmm. that just kind of told 
the story of the time, and yeah. it really fell into this dystopian 1960s counter right what counter, counter counterculture. Culture. Yeah. yeah. Well, one wonderful. of my one of my favorite songs ever, and one of my favorite uses of the song in a movie, is this with the sound of silence from mm. Simon and Garfunkel. And it's it's at the the comedian's funeral, yeah. And it's got that kind of that pan in the crane shot in over shot, the with the, with the music going, and you got the the rains falling, and you have people standing there, and you got Doctor Manhattan in a suit, and he's just there, and it's just beautifully heartbreaking because even though, despite what you know Eddie thinks about the comedian, um, the comedian's a, a, a bad dude. Now we may not know this if we're watching it for the first I time. I like him as a character. I, I like that he's a bad dude. That's right, what right. I'm so saying. He's a bad yeah. dude. But yet there's so much sympathy and there's so much sadness in this moment and it's created from that song. Well, and how horrible is it that you have the the concept of a hero that's been built up over... I mean, if you look at, at the history of, of the United States, right? So it's 1933 of the advent of Superman, who was everything is good and wonderful about America, right? You had truth, right. justice, the American way. And from 1933, you've had this buildup of superheroes as this wonderful, g- gorgeous thing. And then all of a sudden, you have the comedian who's murdering the mother of his child in Vietnam. You have him turning against people and just killing them outright, uh, blasting them with his with his furnace of, of fire. It, it kind of creates this concept of, okay, so we've put all our faith in this hero and the hero has turned and become the worst instincts of humanity not the best instincts mm-hmm. of humanity i think it's interesting that you're actually seeing like the comedians like history and background out of all those characters who were there at the funeral everyone had their own like you know little opinion or their their own like you know their own personal way of actually they dealt with the comedian in their own life well and and to me the the comedian was the the, the thread that tied the story together because if you look at it from a structural standpoint you had kind of a very linear storyline from when he died to his funeral and then all of a sudden you start getting these we branches jump around these, and and it doesn't bother me usually no. that bothers the shit out of me favorite character oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it brand, you always pick like the worst person <laughs> But you have all these branches, Tyler right? So you Durden. Get, you get to see what happened with the mom and Jupiter. You get to see what happened yep. to um, uh, Ozymandias. You get to see what happened mm-hmm. to Rorschach. You get to see what happened to the old Minutemen. And you kind of get this branching out. And it's almost like from there on, Dr. Manhattan, it's almost like from there on, every every character has their 15-minute movie within this movie yeah. where yeah. it shows them where they've come from and where they're going in the same span. And I think one, one, one of my favorite, favorite portions of this film is the is the Dr. Manhattan um, yeah. backstory. Uh, John, um, um, what's his name, last name? John Osterkamp? Oster Oster yeah, yeah, John o. Osterman. I think that Look was at you! Way to go, I have it in No, but to me, the, the way that's done, right? It has that music, and it's this kind of like just—I don't even know how to describe it. Well, it's just this I so peaceful, about, yeah. calm, calm sound. It's got kind of a high chime, angelic, angelic sound, and the whole time, right? We get his courtship with uh, with the girl. I can't remember her name. Uh, 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 Jancy. Yeah, you know? J- yeah, Jenny, Jenny, Jenny. 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 Yeah. We've got her, his courtship with her. We've got this, you know, this kind of cute love story that happens, and then we see him locked into that uh, that thing, that that tube, uh, that room that that he basically gets evaporated, and then we see this reconstruction, and then from there we have his development of powers. It's it's like uh, you know a uh, what do you call it when a superhero uh, an origin story. We have the origin story right yeah, there for him, yeah, yeah. and that is the only origin story that we really get in this movie. We can say you Rorschach. Kinda, you kind of have Rorschachs. You we do have Rorschach. You don't have Night Owls so much, but no. you kind of have Lorries. We um, do. I get, but I guess what yeah, I'm saying yeah, is yeah, he's the only one who has a superhero, yeah. for sure. Right, the Superman yeah. type. 
uh, Clark Kent growing up. So Still he, has that human aspect though, because he, he gets obviously like you know uh, Adrian can't say his name, but he obviously <laughs> get he gets the best of him. Like he confuses him a little bit, and he, he uses him, and also at the same time he starts thinking like, oh, did I cause cancer upon these people? Like so, he has that human still feel to him. Like and that. there's and there's three pieces to the story to me that goes from it. It really knocks down my score of this movie. The first is that G- Jenny, Janine, jo- what's her name? Janie, Janie. Janie. Yeah, he, she should have been the center of his universe, and she wasn't. Well, she left him. Uh, and I, I well, no, it's, no, it's, I, it's the other way around. Uh, yeah, well, whatever, if we're going for the the source text. Whatever right? he the reason, leaves. Her for for Lori. Whatever the reason, it doesn't matter because Lori became the center of his universe. And in my opinion, just from an outside perspective, not looking at the source text, I would have been more compelled if it was a will they, won't they, love, horrible story between him and the woman he loved before he became Dr. Manhattan versus after. And that, to me, is, is a huge flaw in his... As a character, his whole reasoning was... I needed to be tied to Earth, and I'm. I don't know why he was tied to Lori. It never was explained why they became a couple. But the thing was, is that it didn't matter with Lori, or it didn't matter with his uh, uh, Jane or anything like that. He lost his faith in humanity. He did not want to be a part of the world. Well, I, I get he that. was slowly, slowly losing. I can't say that word. This, the strength's having me. Slowly, humanity. Yeah, he was. He was becoming not human anymore. You know, very quickly. He, so well, the, he couldn't relate to anyone. Exactly. But, but so at one point he was with Lori, and at the same, like, that's his like, idea of like, oh, a booty call. But I guess here's. I don't. The, I agree with you. Here's though, the flaw. Yeah. With it, it seemed kind of like, where's your the girl that you loved this whole time? Here to me is her? the flaw of the movie, which is. If Dr. Manhattan is God, if Dr. Manhattan is the God character, then he should have been on Mars with Jenny. Or Je- what's her name? Janie. Uh, Janie. Janie Slater. Janie Slater, not Laurie. Janie Slater should have convinced him or shown him that humanity is worth saving, not Laurie. Is possibly, whether we want to say Alan Moore, the, the writer of the film, uh, even though this is something that's definitely in, in the original source mm-hmm. text, is the fact that he leaves Janie for Laurie. Um, we can look at this and say maybe this is a nod towards the Greek gods, okay. right? Who are, who are, you know, they're deities, but they're more humanity, they're more human than God, right? Than, than the Christian God. And so we look at this and say, well, they're always trying to hook up with the newest, which is exactly what Dr. Manhattan does. And so maybe, just maybe, hypothetically throwing that out there, that that's just kind of a nod towards that, is that, yes, he is still God, but God is just sometimes as petty as and humans I love are. that. I love that explanation. I would have liked a little, a little bit more of that. And her, her character is a little bit more developed in in the the graphic novel than this one. I mean, she barely is in it. And the only reason she's in it, I think, is is to bring up this cancer scare, which is kind of overlooked. Yeah, yeah which is Ozymandias' creation. It's not even yeah. real. right. Correct. Yeah. Correct. No, I was just saying that's Janie. What the one part that showed me that it kind of played an effect with Doctor Manhattan. With he had this drudge against Janie. I felt like. She left him with his last moments of being human, I felt like. I think that's a really that's interesting a really interest, interesting yeah. thing is that like, yeah. He even said, Don't leave me. Right. right. And but, she and, and granted, I mean I think we can all understand why she leaves. She doesn't want to see the, the person that he, she loves like, evaporated. He, he but was, yeah, I think that there's an interesting like, he, he, that's rush. where his heart was just like I he, yeah. He, it broke. He's I, like, and he, I he totally did. get that. I just think that if you had to put the benchmark of the movie the emotional turn of the movie on two characters that fit together versus two characters that to me didn't really fit together. Mm-hmm. Like Lori was not redeemable. Lori uh, cheated on him with 
with Patrick. What's his name? Oh, but he Dan. let he let her do that. Of course he, wanted he did. Of course he did. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not passing judgment. I'm saying right. that she was not she she did things that were not in my eyes. Lori. Lori, okay. not redeemable for wor- being worthy of the salvation of, of God, mankind. Right. Of God, yeah. So you, yeah. to me, you set up this beautiful story of God finding the greatness back in humanity, and you do it with a character that basically cheated on him who was bad, and I get that. I get I get all of that. I just think it would be more impactful. So you want it to be a little bit clearer I want and it laid out. Little, yeah, and, and this is part of what I think the whole, one of the biggest problems with the movie, the second problem of the movie is, is it's too hard for the normal viewer to watch and to pick up on all these subtexts, all these subtle things that just make it great, but also make it so convoluted you can't you can't follow it. But you have to think about Snyder and the way how he actually attacked this film is that you gotta think twelve issues trying to wrap all those twelve different like, you know, issues of this comic, this graphic novel, into a three hour movie, which is almost next to impossible. And I feel like he was able to actually get like Eighty percent of it, right? You know, I yeah. mean, I think you. Oh, I think you got more it, than eighty you know, percent, right? You know? I'm not, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, you know, there is a lot of things. Like, I wanted more, you know, background on some of the stories that you know in mm-hmm. the book, in the graphic novel, that you really don't get too much of it. And I think he right. did as much as possible he can with it. The, the death of of the original Night Owl, I think, is such an interesting one. Oh, dude, uh, and they skipped that one completely in the movie. But that that brings me to to Patrick Wilson, who I'm not a fan of. Patrick Wilson, I don't enjoy him uh, in most stuff. I love him in this because he plays the dweeb like perfectly, right? I thought he was. I, I thought it was a great casting. I thought him. the casting in the whole movie. Right, the whole the whole movie was great. Sean, before we go <laughs> for to go based off of like how Doctor Manhattan you were saying is God, what I was thinking as to go a little bit more in detail of Laurie's role. What do you think about how Mary uh, from the Bible, Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene? Magdalene, yeah, like or unworthy Mary. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Lori, unworthy of Doctor Manhattan. So I love that idea. I love the concept. Just, my just prob- a little bit, not no, like no, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So your problem is just that they don't lay it out for us no, for no, the no. average my, viewer. My problem is is that you're you're cre- uh, to me you're creating this great mythos. So you're creating this great story about God and His authority over mankind, and that without without supreme authority, without knowing absolutely objectively what is right and what is wrong, you have a society that will devolve into utter fucking chaos. And unless that there's objective truth, you don't have society. Okay, let, let me just, I don't want to derail, no, because yeah. I, I totally love what you're saying, but here's something maybe to consider, is that I think that we can't mistake that he is not the Judeo-Christian God. He is not... G capital mm-hmm. God. I think I, he is a God, and I don't think it matters. I don't. I don't think it matters if he's so. If no we tell God, you, if he's but, but if we look at this as as the Greek gods, okay. Sure. So then, in that case, I mean, they they were. I mean, that was the whole point of Greek mythology is that the gods are just as petty, petty if not pettier, than humanity. Yeah. And I mean, if we really look at uh, at Doctor Manhattan, we can love the fact that he's soft spoken. We can love the fact that he's really con- contemplative. Uh, cinematographically, he is such a, a shining blue star in that whole thing. I just had to get in it. But uh, <laughs> but but at the same time, he's really got problems, right? One of my favorite favorite parts is bringing in Eddie's uh, Eddie's guy, and that is when uh, when the comedian kills the the mother of his child, right? The 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 yeah. Vietnamese girl. And he looks, comedian, or, or I'm sorry, Manhattan looks at him and says, well, you, she was carrying your child, child, basically. You killed her. How could you kill her? And he said, listen, don't even think that you're better than me because you could have stopped her. You could have turned I that bullet, and you didn't. And I think that that right there is the key yes. to answering 
your frustration. Again, this is you have to read into it. No, yeah, for sure. But and my frustration, I want you to understand, is not built out of this um, need for a perfect movie. No, no, I understand. I just think that there, this movie had holes. It, no, perhaps even inadvertently stumbled upon this concept of absolute objective fact, absolute objective right and wrong exists. And this is why I love Ozymandias as a character, um, is you have someone who is the smartest, most brilliant person on the planet, and he doesn't understand fundamental objective truth because he believes that his truth is more important than everybody else's. And he's willing to kill millions of people because his truth is more valuable than objective truth. Then look, then, then look at this as a commentary then on politicians nowadays, is that we base all of our, our hopes and our dreams off of people that we've elected, sure, but ultimately the decisions are subjective. Right, I mean, well, so in but that this sense, is the concept, yeah. But this is, the, but this exactly. is exactly. No, no, but but it's, it's a commentary of, on the world that we live in. This is for the sure. concept of natural law. This is why I got so right, in, right, right. involved in this movie. Is because if we stop looking at people making the decisions and take that there are certain inalienable truths that are objectively true. Hey, we shouldn't commit mass genocide. Hey, we shouldn't kill each other. Hey, we should treat each other with general respect. Those fundamental objective truths. If endowed by a godlike creature, nature, mankind, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. That is natural law, right? So if you mm -hmm. have natural law, then your society thrives. If you don't have natural law and you allow mankind to determine what is absolute truth or what is objective truth, then you have the smartest man in the world killing millions of people to save mankind. And right? that is the definition. Who watches? Who watches? Who, watches, who, watches, who, watches, who checks? Exactly who checks? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this is it, just uh, this it, is just from a political science uh, science you know. I'm thirsty. Concept. Okay, another drink. Sorry, I really? I'll, I'll get off the podcast. So, so good. <laughs> Wait, we're gonna stop? We keep going? I don't know. No, that's we should. I mean, forty minutes. Grammatically correct. For now, God damn it! If you, <laughs> it's not grammatically correct. It isn't grammatically correct. I get it. Son of a bludger. I have to take out the who. I never knew this was a book. This was a book, too. <laughs>